If you would open your Bibles to John's Gospel, John chapter 7, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Are you guys enjoying this, your summer? It's been a perfect summer so far for us. Not too hot, just, I mean, the temperature could not be any better, in my opinion. That's my opinion, sorry. But uh, we've been enjoying it so much, and I'll tell you, you know, we probably all have our favorite spots on uh, Whidbey Island, but uh, maybe I shouldn't give the secret away. <laughs> but um, we, our family, you know, we've been here for 35 years, and our, one of our favorite beaches on Whidbey Island has always been Eby, a little, little beach there, and um, it's just so relaxing, so beautiful, and there's hardly anyone there. Like in the evenings when you walk down for some... Now watch, tonight Tracy and I will go down, and there'll be like 100 people down there. But it's just so relaxing, and I don't know about you, there's something about... Um, the other night, Tracy and I were down there, and the waves were crashing up on the shore. I just can't think of anything more relaxing, you know, naturally speaking, uh, than that. Just hearing the and the nice breeze. Anyway, it's beautiful. You gotta gotta try it. Bring your Bible. One of the pastors I used to listen to all the time. He would talk about how on Mondays was his day off, and so he would take his little lounge chair, his fishing pole. And he would go down in his Bible, and he'd go down to the um, river, and he'd fish. He said, I don't do that any longer. He goes, I still go there on Mondays. I just leave the fishing pool at home. And the point was is that he just found that to be a really kind of a, a, pray, a place where he would spend with the Lord, and it was just such a rich time for him personally. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have inspired the writers to write the things, to record the things that we have in your word. We thank you, Lord, that for those who have placed their faith in you, you've given us your Holy Spirit who teaches us and uh, shines light on your scriptures so that we might comprehend them, understand them. Thank you, Lord, for the bodies that you created, our minds, our ability to reason and to think and to ponder and we pray now, Lord, that as we continue our study through John's gospel, we pray that we might glean from our text today, in Jesus' name, amen. So our text today, very short text, uh, we'll finish up chapter 7 next week, but this week we're going to look at just a few verses, beginning in verse 37. It says, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood... And cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then verse 39 is John's commentary on what he just recorded. But this he, that would be Jesus, spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him, Jesus, would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. If you've been with us or you're familiar with John chapter 7, you know that the feast that's referred to in our text was the Feast of Tabernacles. So the Feast of Tabernacles, 
uh, still celebrated, still recognized today by the Jewish people, by Jewish people, religious Jewish people. It was a time when they would reflect upon God's provisions and care for the children of Israel during their 40-year wandering in the wilderness. And so this particular feast, it lasted for eight days. For seven days, the priest would make a, you know, they'd kind of make their way down from the, from the temple. They would make their way down to the Gihon Spring. They would fill up a golden pitcher or vessel of water. They would bring it back up to the, to the temple mount and they would pour it out upon the altar. So they did that day one, day two, seven days. The last day, the greatest day, and that's what's referred to here, they would do the same thing. It would be early in the morning as the sun was dawning. They would make their solemn procession to the Gihon Spring. On the eighth day, there would be more than one priest filling up his vessel. There would be others who would fill up their vessels. They would go back up to the altar on the Temple Mount, but this time on the eighth day, they would go around the altar seven times. And on the seventh time, they would take their vessels of water and they would splash them out on the altar. And so this is something that, of course, the Jewish people would have been familiar with. You know, it's kind of like for us. If you grew up in the United States of America, no one needs to explain to you what the 4th of July is, you know. So what happens on the 4th of July? What are those things in the sky, you know? I mean, everything, because you're familiar with it. You grow up with this. This is something that you know. Same thing for the Jewish people. It's interesting because as you look at the scriptures, and this is why it's so important that we need to be students of the scripture. As you look at the scriptures, it's apparent that tabernacles, a time when they would build little booths made out of uh, uh, branches and, and uh, leafy branches and all and go into those uh, little shelters, those temporary shelters to remember what their forefathers had gone through, to remember how God was so faithful to their forefathers. It was not only a time to look back, but if you're a student of the word, you know that it was also a time for them to look forward. Look forward to what? Look forward to the kingdom of Christ. Look forward to the messianic kingdom when Christ would reign upon the earth. It not only had a looking back aspect, it had a prophetic aspect looking forward. And I want to show you what I mean by that. It's interesting, first of all, let me, I don't want to miss this. You know, everything, when you read the scriptures, guys, there's so much that can be gleaned from the scriptures, and I'm convinced there's so much that we miss in the scriptures, even as students of the word. We read it, we think we've got it, I get that, I understand that. But I'll tell you, when you really give yourself to it, there's always nuggets that uh, you find. You say, oh, wow. In fact, sometimes you think, am I the only one that found it, you know? And then you realize, no, there's been others that have lived and given themselves to the study of the scriptures and have, have come across those same wonderful nuggets. But when you look at the scriptures, you think, well, they went around the altar seven times. What would that speak of? I can't help but think of uh, Joshua and, and the people, the armies of Joshua going around. What did they go around? Jericho, how many times? Seven times. Remember how they did that? They went once around, then the next day. 
Another time around, remember that? And then on the seventh day, they went around seven times and the walls collapsed. So everything had a, 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 an interesting point. Everything had a significance to it for the children of Israel, and it should also for Christians. But anyway, back to what I mentioned, looking forward to the promised kingdom. Guys, the theme is water. I pointed this out a number of weeks ago. I pointed this out in John's gospel account. John's gospel account. He seems to have this underlying theme. He has many themes that are running through his gospel account. But water is one of those themes that runs through his gospel account. In Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 8, it says, In that day, in that day, the, the context is speaking of the day when the Lord returns. In that day, it shall be that living water shall flow from Jerusalem... Half of them, half of the waters, toward the eastern sea, that's the Dead Sea, and half of them toward the western sea, that's the Mediterranean Sea. And the verse goes on to say, in both summer and winter it shall occur. So you say, yeah, that's interesting. Hey, guys, we're not talking about the Great Northwest. We're not talking about an area where water's in abundance. We're not talking about, we're talking about Israel. We're talking about Israel. We're talking about a nation that developed, because they had to, the ability to get water out of the uh, moisture in the air, out of the condensation in the air, because they need to. Because no water, no life, no survival, no nation. And so water, when you look at in the scriptures, many times water, speaking of water, but other times it's symbolic of something else, like it is obviously in our text today. John said this, he spoke concerning the spirit who would come, hadn't come, it was something that would come in the future. From our perspective, it's already come, it's been fulfilled. But from his perspective at that particular time when Jesus spoke these things, it was something. It was looking forward. It was symbolic, speaking of the Holy Spirit. But Zechariah tells us of a time when water will flow from Jerusalem, from the Temple Mount there. Some of it will go to the Dead Sea. Others will flow to the Mediterranean Sea. Ezekiel, the prophet, he saw a similar thing. In Ezekiel 47, Ezekiel saw a trickle of water. It's coming, it's flowing from the Holy of Holies, from the threshold. He measures the water, he measures it four times. At first it's ankle deep, then it's knee deep, then it's waist deep. And then finally it gets deep enough to where, quote, quoting from Ezekiel 47 verse 5, in which one must swim. So obviously, as he's seeing this, this is symbolic of something. Ezekiel goes on to see that the Dead Sea will come to life, that the Dead Sea will be full of life, that the Dead Sea, it says in Ezekiel 47 verse 10, their fish, speaking of the Dead Sea, that region, their fish, there's no fish there today, their fish will be of the same kind as the fish of the great sea of the Mediterranean, exceedingly many. 
So Ezekiel, he sees this time when the Dead Sea, which today, as you know, is the lowest point on planet Earth, will thrive with life. In fact, it will be a time when the, the fishermen will, will lay their nets on the shores of the Dead Sea to dry out and to mend. Guys, it's not just, listen, Christianity, if you, if you think it's all just looking back, you're missing the point. There is so many things for us looking forward, so many blessings, so many wonderful things that we're looking forward to. You say, oh, you don't believe that stuff. Oh, I believe that stuff as much as I believe the stuff that we look back at. As much as I believe the cross and what it accomplished for us and our salvation and everything, I believe these future things just as much. So the water, the water of the Feast of Tabernacles, it looked back, it looks forward. But Jesus used the water of the Feast to speak of the coming of the Holy Spirit. So I imagine, now the scripture doesn't tell us, the text doesn't tell us this, but, but I, I, I'm going to use some liberty here, uh, and I, I think that I'm, I'm safe in this particular, on this particular occasion. But I imagine Jesus, it's the last day, it's the eighth day, uh, the people are there, there's obviously a multitude of people there, they're watching, Jesus is watching. I imagine Jesus, as he's sitting there watching, uh, they make the first round around the altar, then the second, then the third, and then it comes to the eighth time around, and all the people, I mean, this is the crescendo. This is it. This is the end of it all. Are you ready? You know, this is 4th of July. This is, this is the, you know, at the end of the city fireworks, you know. You know it's, it's, the, it's the end when it's ba 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 It just keeps going, you know. And this is kind of that moment in the feast. And it would seem that Jesus stood up just as they were taking their vessels and throwing the water on the altar. Jesus stands up in that moment. And he says, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Now, guys, we could read this at arm's distance. Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, that would have been cool to be there and to hear these things. I want you to imagine the drama. I want you to imagine what we're reading in its context. The context. Remember the context? The beginning of John chapter 7. His half-brothers criticizing him, mocking him. You want to be known. You need to go up and show yourself publicly. And, and we looked at that and we considered that, how it wasn't the time, it wasn't the hour. My hour has not yet come. Your hour is always appropriate, but my hour has not yet come. I'll tell you, when Jesus stood up at this particular point in time and he spoke these words, it was bold and it was public. I mean, the moment had come. I'm, I'm, I'm not hiding. I'm not, I'm not. He comes up to the feast. He's disguised. But he's no longer disguised. He's in the open. He says, come to me. Now, if, you, if it was anyone else, we would have to conclude, what an egomaniac. Come to me. Boy, talk about taking the attention off of the main event. I, uh, I was thinking... Um, now, I want to be careful because what we're speaking of are holy things, and the illustration I'm going to give is surely not holy at all. But I was thinking of timing. You say, oh, Dan, you're reading into it. Well, I think, I think that 
it would have been the right time as they were pouring out the water for Jesus to stand up and say these things. If he said it 10 minutes later, as people were starting to disperse and everything, it kind of loses its impact, doesn't it? Or if it was before the water was thrown on the altar and Jesus kind of interrupts the whole thing and all the priests kind of look back like, what's he doing? <laughs> Timing. When I was a kid, uh, my dad was kind of a jokester. He was uh, usually the life of the party. And when I was growing up, there were a lot of parties. And, um, and he, was, uh, he would get a laugh. He was kind of a funny guy. And he would just do things. And it, he was, wasn't mean-spirited. He would just do things. And one time, when I was a kid, we lived in Poway. And they put a, uh, a lake in, in Poway, so a man-made lake. And the day of the event, you know, it was a great big celebration, and, and um, this is good. <laughs> anyway, and uh, the guy on the microphone said, yes, we have uh, some of the chargers are here with us, so they'll raise their hand, and you can get their autographs, and my dad was giving autographs, of course, to people, and this is kind of that type of thing until someone came up and said, are you a charger, a San Diego charger, and he goes, and he stopped at that point, but anyway. <laughs> But when I was a little kid, uh, my sister and I, my mother and father, we went to this place out in the desert in California, and uh, it was like a western town. And so uh, you, they would have, you know, every 30 minutes, every hour, they would have a shootout down in the main part of town, you know. And uh, we're standing there, I'm just a little kid, and I was so shy. I mean, I was constantly embarrassed by my dad because he was not shy at all. And we're standing there, and we're standing there by a, a place where you tie your horse up. You know, it's the Old West, you know. And so they're, they're doing their gunfight, and the gunfighters, they're verbally assaulting each other there in the dirt street of that little Western town. And they draw their guns, and they shoot. And you hear off from a side, my dad go, oh, and falls over. <laughs> and of course everyone laughed you know and even the gunfighter they turned around they're laughing and it was a funny moment and it was funny the first time <laughs> it continued throughout the day as dad was <laughs> and they weren't laughing any longer they invited us to leave the little western town timing you know what guys Jesus he stands up he says, come to me. Think of that. Come to me. Jesus said, come to me, the one who changed the water into wine. Why did he do that? See, some would say, oh, he just wanted him to have a good time with some wine. Really? Is that the only reason that Jesus turned the water into wine? Could the wine speak of something, the water and the wine? Could the water and the wine, which seem to be a symbol of the Holy Spirit, not just in John's gospel account, but throughout the Bible, could it be speaking of something else? Jesus said, come to me. The one who said to the Samaritan, oh, well, first of all, he said to Nicodemus, I say to you, you must be born again. You must be born of water and of the Spirit, or you won't even see the kingdom of God. Jesus said, come to me. The one who said to the Samaritan woman, you would have asked him, speaking of himself, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water, living water. Jesus said, come to me. The one who said, Again, in John's gospel, all of these are John's gospel. 
He who believes in me shall never thirst, John chapter 6. Do you remember the context of John chapter 6? John chapter 6 had nothing to do with drinking. It had everything to do with eating. They had bread. He called them on the fact that you, you, you follow me, you're searching for me, not because of the sign you saw, but because your bellies were filled and, and you're just here for another meal. As, as he speaks of the food... He goes on and he speaks of the drink. See, there's a theme that's running through the pages of John's gospel account. Jesus, he said, come to me. The one who said in Revelation chapter 6, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. So, come to me. And here's a question that I would present to you guys and all that are listening online and wherever they might be listening to this or whenever. Do you thirst? I think that God created us with this thirst, this spiritual thirst. And I think that, you know, I mean, just, you know, living my life and just watching people, how they conduct themselves, I think that a lot of people are running to and fro trying to satisfy the spiritual longing that they have within them. And so they try this and they try that and they, you know, and, and, and many times, you know, because we in our culture, we seem to say, well, the problems are, you know, they're all from without. It's because of the way people are treating me or my upbringing or something. There's always something that it's always the natural realm. And, and people, you know, they're chasing all these things, trying to find, you know, peace of mind and all. And I think that those who think that they finally found it realize after a short period of time, I still don't have, I still don't have that, that longing, that, that thirst. It's not satisfying. I, I need more. Um, when I was growing up, you know, my teenage years were... Uh, for the most part, the 70s. And during the 70s, of course, we're part of the whole kind of hippie culture, you know. I mean, a lot of people say, well, the hippies were gone in 1969. Well, I don't think so. We lived in Grass Valley, you know, for 10 years before coming up here. And there were a lot of hippies still in Grass Valley <laughs> in, the, in the 80s, you know. So hippies are still found. They're, some of them are even among us. But anyway... Kind of that hippie thing, you know. But, you know, um, music really kind of impacted my life, and I listened to a lot of music. And so, you know, you have all of these influences. And I had this appetite, this spiritual appetite, this longing within my heart. Grown up, grew up in a Catholic home, went to parochial school, went to church six days a week, you know, because if you went to parochial school, you had to go to Mass every morning, Monday through Friday, you know. Um, and by the time I was a young teenager, probably 13, I thought, this does not, <laughs> this is not doing it. They talk about Jesus, but that was it. No one really spoke about a relationship with Jesus. In fact, that would have been laughed at in that type of environment. And I did what many people in my generation did. 
And that is you go outside of the church and you say, there, it must be found someplace else. Maybe it's found in, and so you have your list. I was listening to this fellow that I listened to sometime. He was a professional surfer and he has a little program. And, and he was, as I was listening to it yesterday, he was talking about when his father died and how he was just really going through things emotionally and how he just kind of went away by himself on a surf trip, and he says, it was really my spiritual journey. And he's talking about this, that, and the other. And I know this particular guy was kind of raised in the church. And as he went on to describe what he had found as he was out there searching for God, it was so disappointing. Because really, it was all the same stuff, the same kind of stuff that I was involved in in the 70s, you know, the meditation and mindfulness and, you know, all of these kind of approaches, Eastern mysticism type of thing that has a form of being spiritual because, you know, you really do feel like you go all that. When you're sitting there and you got your, your legs in a particular position and your hands uplifted in a certain position and, and your eyes closed and you're going deep and deep and deep and you really feel like, man, I'm special. But it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't satisfy. There's always this longing. There's always this desire for more. Do you thirst? Isaiah 55, 2 Remember, uh, come to me. Remember that invitation to come, to buy? You have no money? The next verse, after verse 1, it says, and your wages for what does not satisfy. I think that's a description of, of many generations of humanity. You're spending your wages on that which does not satisfy. I know I'll find it somewhere. You're looking high and low. But of course, it will never be quenched. Your thirst the only one that could quench our thirst, I'm convinced, is Jesus Christ. He is, he is truly the, the, the thirst quencher. Don't miss what Jesus said. Jesus said, if anyone, chapter 7, verses 37, 38, he says, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Guys, do you get it? Are you picturing it? Drinking. What is it? I mean, this is a rocket science. Drinking, it's taking in. Drink, take in. He who believes in me, as the scripture, note that, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Did you catch that? Drink, in. Flowing, out. See, guys, many who profess to be believers, um, <laughs> they're missing it. The whole teaching of the ministry of the Holy Spirit many times is overlooked or not. It's either overlooked or, or amplified, you know, hyped up, you know. You, you have kind of the Pentecostal or, or hyper-charismatic groups, and, and they talk about the Holy Spirit in really, really strange ways. A number of years ago, Nate put together 
kind of a video of, of what different people within the church were saying. And, and we were watching this one particular, I'm not going to say, because people get mad when I mention the names, because somehow that's not biblical, even though Paul did it. But, but anyway, uh, the, the one of the persons that was talking about the Holy Spirit, she was saying, I, I see the Holy Spirit as a blue genie in a bottle. You know, that's um, blasphemy. Do you know that? Because the Holy Spirit is God. So the Holy Spirit is not it. The Holy Spirit is not an essence. The Holy Spirit is God. Um, we see this throughout the scriptures. But to, right before the second service began, Nate was showing me some scriptures in Isaiah. And he said, boy, what you're saying today it reminds me of this, reminds me of that. And he's just going to a few different passages in Isaiah talking about that living water, talking about the Holy Spirit, talking about the fact that he is God. You know, all of these things, it's, it's, in, it's in the volume of the book. So you're either in that camp to where you're really making the Holy Spirit into something that he's not, like a genie in a bottle, just rub the bottle. Come on, Holy Spirit. Now, you better do what I want. I'm in control here. That's blasphemy. That really, yeah, I mean, that is, that's, that's bad. Or the other extreme is that the Holy Spirit isn't even acknowledged. It's almost as if people say, yes, I believe that I, the Holy Spirit is in me upon believing in Jesus, but I don't really give him much attention. I don't think about him. I don't ever, I've never prayed to the Holy Spirit. You know, I just, I really don't give him much mind. You know, he's just there. Thank you. And there's no expectations of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the believer. And this is where so many people cheat themselves. The extreme, they cheat themselves because they've created something that's not biblical. The other extreme, they cheat themselves because they're not recognizing that the Spirit of God has a ministry in the life of the believer. Um, it says, as the scripture has said, verse 38. Now, we don't know what Jesus was referring to. Was there one verse? Were there many verses? Again, that's why Nate was showing me some of these verses in Isaiah. But I'll give you one in Isaiah, Isaiah 58, verse 11. The Lord will guide you continually, listen, and satisfy your soul in drought. It doesn't say satisfy your thirst, satisfy the inner man, the soul in drought. And strengthen your bones, and you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Well, that kind of sounds like what Jesus was saying here. You know, come to me and the waters and the living waters and the flowing and the gushing out and everything. Jesus. I would say that he sees the moment as the priest was pouring out the water on the altar there in remembrance of the water that flowed from the rock in the wilderness. Jesus says, come to me. I'll give you what you, what you need. I'll give you what satisfies. Listen, how does, how does the ministry of the Holy Spirit satisfy? It satisfies in this way. You're not looking for anything else. 
See, the, the professing believer, I, I have to emphasize that, professing, because many times we could say things, but the proof is really in the action. It's in the walk. It's in, it's in the life. It's not just in the words. But the professing believer who says, oh, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, but, but they're constantly going to these other things that, in some cases, the Bible specifically spoke against and they're saying, yeah, I'm going to this, and I'm trying that, and I'm doing this, and I'm, you know, and, and you're just thinking, why, why do you even have an appetite for that stuff any longer? Obviously, your appetite has not been satisfied in Christ. When I was a teenager, you know, I was a somewhat nominal, you know, disciple of Maharishi Yogi, Transcendental Meditation, Krishna's you know, whatever, anything mystical, anything Eastern, anything like that, anything that I could have an experience. And I had many experiences doing these types of things. It delivered once or twice, but then it stops after a while, you know. I remember, I've, I've told the story many times, I was meditating one night, I was uh, probably 15 years of age, I was in my bedroom, I was meditating, and I had the strangest experience I ever had. There wasn't that sense of peace. There wasn't that sense of serenity that I had experienced in the, in the past. There was a sense that something was trying to get into my body. And I remember g getting up and just kind of shaking my head, just kind of, what's going on? What's going on? And all of a sudden, I started screaming out. And I, you know, I'm thrashing around. I, I hit my dresser. My mother gets up. She's in the other room. The door's shut. She comes in. And again, because of the, the time <laughs> frame and my age and everything, and she walks into the room. She slaps me in the face. And she says, what are you on? I said, I'm not on anything. You know, I have a, a number of friends that, experience things like that. Remember Daryl Mansfield? Some of the older folks might remember Daryl Mansfield. Daryl Mansfield played harmonica, he still does, I'm sure, and uh, was part of the Jesus uh, music, but also movement, and part of Calvary Chapel for a long, long time. And Daryl, his testimony is that he was a young guy, went into a church, probably a Catholic church because Catholic churches aren't locked up, you know, during the week, or they used to not be, but went into the church, went up on the altar, slid his wrist. They found him. The police came in. They said, what are you on, son? What are you on? And he looked at the police and said, I'm on life. <laughs> I'm on life. The despair the emptiness, the discouragement. I mean, there's been so many people that have, have felt that despair, but I'm telling you, Jesus is the answer. He's the only one that can fully satisfy. He says, come to me, come to me, come to me. Listen, you say, I've tried that, I've tried. That's what I said. That's what I said when I was, you know, going into all those other venues, you know, and temples and, and you know, things. I, well, I tried Jesus, but here's the problem. I was never truly introduced, and I never had met the Jesus of the Bible. Once I met him, I would say to my wife, I would say to Tracy, I'd say, 
babe, if people could, could meet the Jesus of the Bible, everyone would believe in him. Versus the Jesus of religion. If we could just kind of get this, like I, like I stumbled upon something that, you know, some new concept, you know. Again, I didn't know that for 2,000 years there was this goal, the gospel, get the gospel out so that people might hear and be saved. Are you thirsty? Come to Jesus. I've tried it. No, you haven't. Come to Jesus. He satisfies. He truly satisfies. But you've got to give yourself to him. Again, the water from the rock, remembering. Remember what Paul wrote in Corinthians. Speaking of the children of Israel, he said they all ate the same spiritual food, which was manna. They all ate, they all ate that, all the children of Israel, and the same spiritual drink. Guys, the best commentary on the Old Testament is the New Testament. If all we had was the New Testament, we would never say that that water was a spiritual drink. We would say that was just water the Lord provided. And it was water he provided, and they drank. But Paul is bringing some insight into it. He says that spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. You say, What? Sadly, there are many professing Christians because they're not students of the word, and, and, and it ought not be that way. But there are some professing Christians who might say, oh, that's ridiculous. Jesus didn't even come into being until, you know, a long time later in Bethlehem, in the stable. Guys, Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. God is God. Say, oh, three gods. That's weird. No, one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Manifested in three persons. And this is the beauty of, of, of what we see and when we can wrap our minds around this, that, that Christ was there in the wilderness with them. They all were drinking from him. There's a spiritual significance here. The living water that Jesus spoke of, of course, is the Holy Spirit. And, and later on in John's Gospel account, in John chapter 14, verses 17 and 18, Jesus said, the spirit of truth. See, guys, every time there's a title, every time there's more information, the believer should say, okay, I'm going to put that one away in the catalog of the mind. He's the spirit of truth. So he doesn't lie. He doesn't make people act weird. If they're acting weird, they're just weird. Right? Amen? It's true. The Holy Spirit doesn't make people act weird. People act weird. Because they think that's what the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is. And yet they're so hard-pressed. Years ago, I got into trouble. I always get into trouble. I'm always in trouble because of my mouth. Just here, not anywhere else. Well, maybe at home sometimes, <laughs> but anyway. But I was talking about, you know, that, that thing that was going on and the drunk in the spirit. and Oh, how dare you? People were irate. How dare you? I said, well, what are you so upset about? I experienced it. I said, well, I, I don't know what you experienced, but, but um, what is the biblical reference to being drunk in the spirit? Well, it says on, on the day of Pentecost that 
they said that they were drunk. I said, look at the text. They were mocking them. Look at the text. Do drunk people speak a language that they had never learned fluently? A drunk person, depending upon how drunk they are, they can't even speak the language that they know. <laughs> it was a mockery. It was, not, it was not because they were acting drunk. It was a mockery because they could not explain what was happening. And, and, and see, guys, you say, oh, you, you just split hairs. Dan, you always split hairs. I'm not splitting hairs. I'm just simply being biblical. Because when... On the day of Pentecost, when these things were happening and they were mocking the people, what did Peter say? I don't know, it's a new thing. No. He says, this is that which was written. Remember? The prophet Joel said. See, he just takes them right back to the word of God. And we should do the same. And the professing believer who cannot go back to the word of God say, it's an experience I've experienced. You know, that is so foolish and so dangerous. I think of, and I, I used to talk about this quite a bit, I experienced so many seemingly supernatural things before I was a Christian when I was dabbling in all this other stuff than I ever have as a Christian. Because my walk with Christ is not an emotional roller coaster. Whee! it's based upon the truth of the word of God so I could look at my life and I could measure the things that are happening or not happening or, or what I'm dealing with based upon the word of God do I experience things yes I experience things in the Lord but my faith is not built upon my experiences. My faith is built upon the word of God. The word of God that God says he holds higher than his name. The word of God that he says will never pass away. That's what he says about his word. And I don't understand how Christians could be so nonchalant about his word. But anyway, there I go again. The spirit of truth, Jesus says, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, he says to his disciples, for he, for he dwells with you. He dwells with you. And then he goes on, and will be in you. And then he adds, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. There's so much there, guys. Holy Spirit is with you, but he'll be in you. So when did that happen? The day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. No. The end of John's gospel account. On the evening of the morning that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he goes in and he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. So now the Holy Spirit's in them. Receive the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit in them. And then, and then he says to these same, same men, the Holy Spirit now is, he was with them, now he's in them. He says to them, but tarry until the promise of the Father comes upon you. See, guys, these are all important. So Holy Spirit's in them, yes, but wait, tarry, how long? 50 days till the day of Pentecost. And then the Holy Spirit came upon them with that dunamis power. And they were 
equipped now to go out and to do the things that the Lord had called them to do. Guys, when Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you, I don't think he was speaking of his second coming. I think he was speaking of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You say, based upon what, Dan? You're always basing things upon Scripture. Again, John's Gospel, John chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. See, guys, there's so much to glean. Well, he came. The Holy Spirit came. He came on the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit comes uh, to, into every born-again, true born-again believer. And he dwells in us. And the Holy Spirit comes upon us with that dunamis power uh, to empower us to be the witnesses that he's called us to be. The Holy Spirit is in the believer both to satisfy and, and, and provide uh, the guidance and the power, the strength, the wisdom to live the Christian life. We can't live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. It cannot be done. <laughs> Guys, you know, we, it's sad because we watch the church, you know, I'm using that in a broad term. It's really diminishing in our day. It's diminishing all over the, uh, the Western world, you know. It's diminishing. We look at the stats. We look at the polls that are taken, the, you know, the surveys that are taken. And, and uh, you, you know, what was it? Uh, I think it was 17%. I don't remember the exact numbers, but I remember reading uh, this a few months ago. I think it was 17% believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Not 17% of the population, 17% of those who profess to be born again. So if you only have 17% that believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father, 17%, then there's a large percentage of people who profess to be Christians that don't believe that Jesus is the only way. So whatever works for you, man, find your way. I'm sure you'll find your road, your path. How dangerous that is. You look at the stats of how many Christians who profess to be born-again Christians, and they don't even open the Bible. They don't read the Bible. How many times do you read the Bible a week? And you say, what's wrong? It's our manna, folks. It's our drink <laughs> for us today. Go without manna. Go without something to satisfy the thirst for a day. When we're in the word, it makes us sensitive to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a silent, inactive agent or essence of God. He is God. The Holy Spirit is likened to water, living water, flowing. The Holy Spirit is the means of the outflowing manifestation, evidence of his indwelling presence. For the believer, we don't just say, I just believe it. So it is. No. We go to the word of God. There is the fruit of the spirit. Lord, I'm anxious. Lord, I have no peace. Lord, I'm, I'm so bummed out all the time. I'm so sad all the time. What's wrong with me? And for the believer who's truly a believer, we go and we say, oh, Lord, 
Fill me afresh with your spirit so that the outflow, the evidence of your spirit within me would be manifest in my life. Joy, love, peace, you know, patience. You see, you see what I'm saying, guys? It's not just this head thing. It's not even just this heart thing. It's not this blind faith, well, no one could know. No. Do you know, I used to live my life that way before I came to faith in Christ. You know, well, you know, if you, if you died today, would you go to heaven? And go, well, no one could know, you know, I, hopefully it would all work out. No, we could know as Christians. We know. If you placed your faith in the finished work of Christ, you're going to heaven, not because you're good, because you're not. Well, I'm not. None of us are. But because he's good and he's holy and he died <laughs> on our behalf and he redeemed us from death and sin and the bondage thereof. Jesus said, come to me. The water Jesus offers fully satisfies. John 4, 14, you'll never thirst. You'll never thirst for those spiritual things again. The living water, the Holy Spirit, is life-giving supernaturally life-giving. The living water the Holy Spirit satisfies and saves. The living water, Mario, you could come up, please. The living water the Holy Spirit fully quenches the spiritual thirst and satisfies the longing of the soul. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. No if, and, and buts about it. You do. But does the Holy Spirit have you? You say, oh, trick question. Boomerang, you know, what do you mean by that? You know, guys, we must yield to him. We must walk in him. Guys, am I saying anything that's not biblical? You have a Bible. You have your New Testament. I'm just referring to what the New Testament says. We must yield to him. We must not grieve him. We must walk in him. I mean, this is what we see in the scriptures. It's not this, this idol, this neutral, the Christian is not inactive, the Christian is, is very much involved, we're tuned in, we pursue the Lord. The beautiful thing, guys, about life in Christ is that he never promised us, see, and this is where we, again, need to get in here, rather listening to the preachers standing in pulpits like this, that are talking about the Lord wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and, you know, all of that, all the time. It's a lie. Nowhere does the Lord promise us that. The thing that the Lord does promise us is tribulation. <laughs> the very thing we don't want to hear. So they promise you that. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world, you know. You're in me, I've overcome the world. So it's not a life without pain, it's not a life without care, it's not a life without woe, but it's a life of knowing, it's a life where we have this constant source of strength, the Lord himself. And we could go to him, and this is what's so beautiful. Could you imagine if your experience with the Lord was solely dependent upon going to a, you know, a church one 
once or twice a week, we would all be spiritually malnourished. But the beautiful thing, each one of us, are we the most blessed people? We have Bibles. You know, I don't understand the old English. Or uh, get a new English. <laughs> you know, get a, what, what translation would you like? We'll find one for you. You know, we have so many different translations of the Bible. And we can take our Bibles. They're no longer chained to the pulpits because the people are too ignorant to understand. What an insult to God's people. We all have our Bibles. We have the spirit of the living God living within us. We can open our Bibles at EB Beach or your living room or your backyard or in your car. And you can open it up and you say, Lord, would you please speak to me? I just need to hear from you right now, Lord, to expect an answer, because we're his children. To read the word, to receive what he has for us, to thank him, and to go on. That's the relationship that the Lord wants us to have with him. And if we're not experiencing that, it's probably because we're simply not doing our part. I, you know, I don't want to lay a guilt trip on anyone, but we're just not doing our due diligence. Because... Uh, you know, he's promised us life in that more abundant. So would you stand with me? If you have not placed your faith in Christ, of course, um, all of this talk about the Holy Spirit, it's important, but, but it's really not important to you until you yourself surrender your life to Christ. Come to Christ. Admit that you're a sinner. Ask him to receive you. Believe in him. Do that today. If you are a believer, but there's a dryness, there's a barrenness, then you need to go back and say, Lord, this living water, living water, living water. You can say, Lord, I'm going to check out Isaiah. I'm going to check out Ezekiel. I'm going to check out these Old Testament books that talk about living water, living water, living water. Seems to be a theme here, living water. Lord, I, I want that. I need that, Lord. Yield to him. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time. We pray now that you would bless each one gathered here. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.